Let's stand and open our Bibles one more time to Acts chapter 9. I want to thank you once again, ladies, those of you that have been cooking each night. We certainly appreciate your hard work and the fabulous meals. And I want to thank personally whoever did the basket in our room. I appreciate the special care taken in providing those things that we like. And for the beautiful hotel room, we've thoroughly enjoyed the time here with your preacher and with Brother Ogby and, of course, with Pastor Smith. You have a great heritage. I hope you don't take any of that for granted. And a good church. We always enjoy spending time with Brother Ricky as well. Acts chapter 9 tonight. I'm not going to be quite as heavy as I was the past few nights. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. But Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those that are here tonight, those that have been faithful to every single service. Father, those that are wanting to hear from you. And Father, we pray tonight that once again you'd open up our eyes. We so enjoy it when your Holy Spirit speaks to us. Father, we understand our task, that it is great. And the Father, as a local church, we're supposed to do everything within our possibility. Father, we thank you that in this day and age that we have transportation that has facilitated worldwide travel. We're thankful for the radio ministry. We're thankful for tracts in the Bible, not just in our language, but now translated in so many languages. And that has all facilitated our job. And we're thankful that the fact that we've been born in this generation, oh God, we understand that heightens our responsibility. Father, help us to do more this year than we've ever done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We read in chapter 9 about the conversion of Saul, who was later called Paul. And I like verse 20 that says, Straight way he preached. Now, I've only seen this a couple times, but we just had one of our young men from Mexico graduate from Bible college and is now starting a church. But I remember the camp that he came to for the very first time as a lost teenager. And on Monday night, Benjamin got born again. On Tuesday night, Benjamin got called to preach. On Wednesday night, he surrendered a full-time service. And on Thursday night, he signed up to go to Bible college. And by Monday, he was gone. You say, did he make it? He sure did. Matter of fact, you have a, uh, a missionary over in Spanish church tonight, Brother Colorado, going to Switzerland, who went to Bible college with Benjamin, and now he's married and in the ministry. But that rare is the case that you see someone get saved and immediately jump into the will and the work of God. But this is what happened in Saul's case, and it created quite a stir. The Jews wanted to take his life, and the disciples, hearing about those plans, put him in a basket, lowered him down the wall, saving 
his life. Now, you've heard this text preached on uh, as far as holding the rope. And I don't want to preach that direction tonight. I want to preach about the forgotten rope in missions. And that's the rope of prayer. Now, I was a missionary for 15 years. And I'm thankful for deputation. And I'm thankful for those pastors that we met in the churches that we visited and the prayer support that was raised. And here, as Paul began to do God's work, as he began to go out and plant churches all across Asia and Europe, he began to understand more and more the importance of prayer in missions. Go with me for a minute. Let's see some of the things that he wrote, Romans chapter 15, verse 30, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, encouraging those around him to pray for him, for his ministry, and for the mission work being done. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Now I beseech you, I beg you, I'm pleading with you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, look what he says, that ye strive together, that you work with me. How? In your prayers to God for me. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read in verse 11. Ye also helping, helping in the work of missions, helping together, How? By your prayer for us. Now, why did he need prayer? He explained the need in verse 8. He said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came unto us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even for life. And if you see his work there in Asia, he was beaten, he was jailed, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. During that time, he said, we despaired even for our lives. and We're begging that you help together by prayer for us. Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Why? That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now Christ reiterated this back in the Gospels. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 9. Now I don't want to lose you tonight as we look at a few scripture, but I want you to understand the importance and the biblical command that we have to pray for those that are involved in missions. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he, Christ, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And look what he said, the very first command. He looked out with compassion and said, The harvest is plenteous. The labors are few. What should we do first and foremost? Pray ye therefore. Pray. Now, I can do this tonight because I'm pastoring. And for the time being, not a missionary, I'm begging God at some point soon to allow me back on the mission field. 
But for the time being, I'm pastoring, so I'm going to speak on the behalf of the missionaries tonight because you won't hear them get up and say what I'm going to say right now. But you read the prayer letters about all the wonderful things that are happening in the ministry because they can't tell you about all the bad things that are happening in the ministry. But when you pray for your missionaries, it'd be a good idea, and I thank God that in your church and the average independent Baptist church Prayer letters for the missionaries are out on boards and you have easy access to take a few minutes before the service or after the service to walk by and read a prayer letter. And it'd be a good thing at that moment to jot down, take a mental note of a need or a problem or something mentioned in that letter. Understand maybe they're out on deputation. They're trying to raise money or they've just gotten to the field and they're trying to learn a new language and adapt to a different culture or they're building a church and look at where they're at in their ministry and pray specifically for your missionaries. I don't know if I've ever been to a prayer meeting that was specifically for missionaries, and rare is the moment that I go to a prayer meeting and hear missionaries specifically by name with their needs being brought up before God in prayer. When you hear a prayer for the missionaries, very general, God bless the missionaries. And I think God expects something more than that out of us as supporters. Now, think for just a minute about these men that are going out, going from church to church. Think about their circumstance, because if you put yourself in their shoes, it might help you be a little bit more specific in your prayers. How many of you have applied for a new job and remember the stress of walking in? If you got that job the first day or days or the first week, how uncomfortable it was as you begin to adjust to a new environment and a new boss, and you're trying to figure out what was being required of you and how to please that man in this new setting. How many of you remember that moment? How many of you felt very uncomfortable in those circumstances? Did you know that your missionaries, as they go out and they visit new churches, every day, every Sunday is like their first day on the job. They're trying to figure out who this man is. Is he a Ruckmanite? Is he a Heilsgrad? Is he a follower of Paul Chapel or the Apostle Paul? I mean, seriously, I've been in churches Sunday morning. You couldn't mention where you were headed Sunday night. I had a church in Louisiana that split, and I was in one of those churches Sunday morning. I was in the split Sunday night. And the pastor said, where are you going? I, I said, out. What church? It's a good one. It's Baptist, I'm sure, independent Baptist. It's in the area, but I'm... Very poor in my memory and can't help you with that information. And as you, listen, just getting on the phone, you know how difficult it is to get in touch with the average pastor? Try calling the president. It's pretty much the same. And they'll call dozens and dozens of preachers before they finally get a meeting. And, and then as you go in, you're wondering, what is it that I'm going to say? Uh, especially if you have younger children. Now imagine this. If you want to pray for your missionaries, do yourself a little favor. Get your kids in a car this Sunday afternoon and drive all the way to San Antonio. Put them in a seatbelt. Drive four or five hours. Race into that church service. Drop your child off to the nursery. Sit the next one right down beside you, hungry, Energetic because they've been cooped up for four or five hours. Making sure. Now you got about 15 minutes before you walk to service, so you run into Walmart, iron his shirt, brush your teeth. 
The trip is usually filled with explanations and instruction. How many notice that many missionaries travel with two-year-olds and three-year-olds? And those kids bounce around from nursery to nursery and class to class. You take your 10-month-old and drop them off every service to someone new that they've never seen before. And you'll stop saying, boy, those missionary kids sure are crabby. Those missionary kids have a lot of energy. They certainly do when they've been cooped up in a car for eight hours at a time. I remember sitting down and giving my kids instruction. We were headed up north to a very conservative church with a very conservative pastor. And I remember for hours telling my kids what to say. Babe, if he asks you any question, you say home, sewing, cooking. That's all you love to do. And those kids, man, I was teaching them Bible. I said, if he asks you anything, you just quote a Bible verse. My son was three years old. We'd gone through all that training. And we're there with the preacher, and the preacher walks down the steps in the living room and sits down. He's reading his Bible, and here comes my three-year-old son down the steps. And he makes it to the second step, and he's coughing, he's hacking, he's hit. <laughs> this pastor looked at him. Said, "Son, what's your?" He said, "I'm choking on my beer." Man, I wanted to grab that kid and shake the beer out of him. <laughs> I've been a missionary in Mexico, so I believe in bribery, preacher. When I came home on furlough, we couldn't always take the family with me, so I tried taking the kids. Brittany, my youngest, was about two and a half, and that girl's full of energy. And I remember going to Temple one time to a church, and I took her with me, and the whole way up, I, I was telling her, Brittany, she loved chocolate milk. I said, Brittany, uh, you want a chocolate milk, don't you? Uh, Dad, I love a chocolate milk. Can we stop and get a chocolate milk? No, but after church, we're going to get some chocolate milk. But you have to sit still. Matter of fact, I'll give you two chocolate milks if you just go to sleep. <laughs> I knew I was going to have to leave that girl in the front row and stand up there and preach, and who knows what in the world she was going to do. We got to church that night. She did exactly what her daddy told her to do. She flopped over, fell asleep, woke up during the invitation like every good little Baptist, and sometimes a good big Baptist. And we stood at the back door with the preacher. We handed out our prayer cards. And about halfway through that line, my little daughter, Brittany, looked up. And she said, Daddy, did I do good enough to get my chocolate milk? Now, folks, we laugh. That's the reality. The reality, now I know things have changed. Thank God they've changed. And the care for missionaries now is excellent across the board. And I'm thankful for that. But we have stayed place. I was telling your preacher the other night, boy, we have stayed in churches and prophets' chambers and houses, I could tell you stories all night. We were in West Texas. We were coming from a conference. Showed up, 2 o'clock in the morning, out in the middle of nowhere. And folks, I know if this was broad daylight, it would probably be totally different. But it was 2.30 in the morning. One of those houses just kind of tilted sideways. And the screen door was hanging on by one hinge. We got out of the vehicle, and it, it looked like the Adams family were going to stick their heads out the windows of that house and greet us. But I, I knocked on that door, and this, this old man, hunchback of Notre Dame, glasses this thick, had more hair in his eyebrows than he had on his head, opened up the door, so help me God. This was his voice. Hello? 
He sounded like a hinge. Hello? We told him who we are. I was expecting you. Come on in. My wife was holding me outside. Walked in and there was his mother on a gurney, her grandmother, her great-grandmother. I had someone over 200 years old on an oxygen tank. And you could hear that poor old lady who was nearing death. Now, folks, I'm telling you, 2.30 in the afternoon, this would have been a totally different story. But this is 2.30 in the morning. That house didn't have a door in it. I stepped beside the bathroom. My wife followed me. And she said, I am not staying here. And I said, you sure aren't. I'm going to use the bathroom. Would you step out? I don't mean that. I'm not staying in this house. I want a hotel. You know that lovely woman that you've seen with me? That loveliness does not exist at 2.30 in Frankenstein's house. Now, folks, I'm, I'm just telling you the realities. We've driven places with no money in our pocket and left without an offering. There are dangers. There are times you drive all night. We've had a deer come through our windshield in Arkansas. We've had snowstorms. I traveled with my family for months. In the one Wednesday night that I left them home, we had a rock about this size thrown through our side window, which would have killed one of my children. Monday night after the service, I went out with Brother uh, Ricky Gonzalez and Brother Moises Herrera was here. He was one of the first churches to take us on in 1994, and I don't think I've seen him since. And we sat down, we looked at each other, and both started to laugh. Now, here's why. Our minds were going back <laughs> to when we first met. I was a kid preacher. I was 22 years old, looked like I was 16. But you know how Spanish churches are. They're not quite as organized as English churches. And I had just preached in Houston and had all my equipment. Now listen, back then, the projectors, everybody was using the slide projector. You know, someone would be standing sideways, upside down. You never knew what was going to pop up on that projector. But I had one of the first video projectors. I was way ahead of my time. It was about two feet long, about three foot tall, weighed about 450 pounds. You know, I'd bring that in all proud of myself, set it up. Well, that Sunday, Brother Moises didn't show up to the last minute. So we were sitting outside for an hour, and he showed up, went straight up to the platform, didn't say boo to me. I thought he forgot we're here. They're, we're not going to do anything. So we sat there like good missionaries do, and we sang the songs and smiled. And about halfway through the third song, he pointed at me, and it went like this, and I walked up. Finally, he got the idea across that I was supposed to bring in my presentation. Well, the problem was, the day before, we were in Houston. I had all my equipment stolen. I borrowed the equipment. So I ran in during those song services, set everything up, and forgot that I had borrowed a VHS player and forgotten to check if that was my video in the player. So he said, Preacher, are you ready? I said, Absolutely. And I hit play and I took a seat. And to my horror, that was not my presentation. And the first words that we heard was, Don't die, Papa! And I hit stop and I stood up and I said, That's what missions is about. They're souls! A 
all across this planet that are dying. And I want to die at this very minute. Now what you've got to understand, we're dealing with the prince of the power of the air and Satan is in every sound system in every independent Baptist church in this nation. And I don't care how perfected that missionary has his everything, from his equipment to his presentation, the devil's going to get in there and mess that thing up. You ought to be praying, God bless his kids, bless his wife. Listen, women, can you imagine sleeping in a different bed each night, eating at someone else's table, feeling like you have to host someone? You say, I thought they were being hosted. Let me ask you this, if you lost the refuge of your home for two years, and bounced around from place to place and family to family, church to church, and here's the problem, when someone comes from a church like this, a good church, they're used to good preaching and good music and good people and a wonderful environment, and then you go to churches, it's not like these churches, Brother Smith gets to preach at, Brother Augie, they're friends and good people, like-minded churches to bring them in. No, a lot of times you're going in blind. I, I remember going to church one time in Oklahoma. We got there just about the time uh, the choir was practicing, and everybody in the choir had shorts. They were all doing the jigaboo. My wife pulled me aside. She said, what do we do? What was funny, after the service, the preacher sat down, and he said, so when did you graduate from BBC? Boy, I was debating whether or not to tell him the truth. <laughs> that support was looming large. Up to this point, everything got smoothly. I said, well, I, I graduated from... Oh, he said, what was that? I said, I actually didn't graduate from BBC. I graduated from OBC. Wrong school, wrong connection. Committed the unpardonable sin. I was a friend of Dr. Vineyard. Now, folks, I'm just telling you the reality of life. The reality is when we pray, we need to be praying specifically. And wait, it's not just deputation. Then they go to the field and they have a culture to deal with and language to deal with. I, I could tell you stories all night. That's not the purpose of the message tonight. But you have to understand, adapting to a culture, we romanticize mission work, and there's nothing romantic about it. You, you sit around and say, I've eaten Mexican food, it's good. You have not eaten Mexican food. You ate Tex-Mex. Across the border is not Mexican food. Taco Cabana is not Mexican food. I remember I was trying to get this rich man to come to church, and our church services didn't start till 11, so often I'd get out about 9.30 and start to make visits and, and try to get people into the church. And I'd been working on this millionaire for a while, and I went to his house, and I said, listen, what is it going to take to get you to church? He said, if you eat breakfast with me, I'll go to church this morning. I said, I'm in. He said, have a seat. I'll be right with you. I didn't know the joke he was just about to pull, but he came out with chiniquiles. Not to be confused with chilaquiles. I love chilaquiles. Those are, how many know what chilaquiles are? Delicious, right? Not chilaquiles. Chiniquiles. You say, what's that, preacher? It's a regional worm found in the state of Hidalgo. So he said, you ready for breakfast? I said, absolutely. He brought out a jar of worms. I said, what is that? He said, that's breakfast. I said, I don't really know if I want you in church this morning or not. <laughs> but I made a promise, and he said, uh, how many do you want? Now, when he asked that question, what do you think I'm going to think? I'm thinking... How many? I said, give me four or five and cook those things as long as you can. 
while he was talking tacos, I was talking worms. He brought me out four tacos laden with chiniquiles. Say, how'd you do, Pastor? I threw up that morning. I threw up that afternoon. Five days later, when I heard the word worm, I threw up again. You know what the rule is of eating in a, in a foreign country? Don't smell it. Don't watch it prepared. And don't dare ask what it is. And possibly you can get it down. You need to pray for these men. You need to pray for these ministries. But you need to pray more specifically. They're going in, adapting to a culture. And the language, I don't know of anything more frustrating in the world. Now, we're fluent in Spanish. I don't know anything more frustrating in the world than learning a language. And it doesn't matter how you learn it. And listen, folks, don't try to offer suggestions. Everybody's unique, and every situation is unique. And there's some that go to language school. I know people that go to language school in a different country, and then they go to, they, they study in Costa Rica, and then they go to Mexico. That's a mistake. Spanish is regional. You better learn Spanish in the country where you're going. We went to Argentina, which is, the Spanish is totally different than the Spanish in Mexico. But you go, and you make mistakes. Listen, I've made so many mistakes in Spanish. Oh, Lord have mercy. I just went to Argentina. I was with one of the young men we trained. We were laughing because the first trip that we took together in, now once again, Argentine Spanish is different than Mexican Spanish. But in Argentina, let's see if you can hear the difference in these two words. Ramera, remera. There's an A in one and an E in the other. And the difference is, uh, one is a shirt and one is a, a woman of the street. Well, here's the problem. Oscar, this young man that I was going to take on this trip with me, is very poor. So he had two shirts, but often they won't take both with them because they think if I'm only going to be gone for two or three days, I only need one shirt. Well, my point was, listen, if we're going to be gone for two or three days, don't take one shirt. I don't want you traveling with me and smelling like the backside of a bus. I want you to look sharp and smell sharp. So when we got together, he said, what do, we, what do we need to take? And I meant to say two shirts. But I put in the wrong vowel. And he said, preacher, that's funny. And I said, it is not funny. And I'm telling you right now, you will bring two. I thought I was saying shirts. He said, preacher, I've got a question. Why two? Because we're going to be gone for two days. I thought he was going to punch me in the face. <laughs> now, folks, I'm telling you, those things are going to happen. When you go to a foreign country, you're trying to learn a foreign language, you're going to make mistake after mistake, and it comes to the point where it's not funny anymore. I'm going to be honest with you, because I can't be honest. These missionaries can't be honest. They're trying to raise money. they got to show up early, tell the kids to behave, smile, hug the preacher. I don't have to hug the preacher, and I don't have to behave. Because I don't need a check. If I get one, if I don't get one, I already got a fruit basket in a hotel, so I'm fine. <laughs> but guess what? There'll be times when you hate that country. You hate those people. You say, you what? Folks, we lived for over a year where the water would fill up our tank 30 minutes a week. Tell me how much you love your neighborhood if your water's on 30 minutes a week. And then they'd charge us 75 or $80 for water we weren't getting. You say, what did you do? I was a Christian. I'd walk into the office with a suit and a tie and I'd buy my hand and say, listen, I'm a preacher and I don't cuss. 
but occasionally I kill people. <laughs> These are the things they're not going to write in their prayer letters. In Mexico, the danger, the constant danger, the travel presents. Listen, in foreign countries, you hit someone, there are so few traffic laws. Keith Stensis, who's a missionary out of our church, had two years ago called me up. He had hit a drunk and killed them. They put you immediately in jail. And then you start to pay. You sit in a jail for killing a man. You get charged for manslaughter when a drunk stepped out in front of your vehicle. Tell me how much you love that country. I'm just telling you the truth. These people need specific prayer as they adapt. And then here, here's the amazing thing. You're dealing with these cultures. On top of learning a language, a guy's going to be there four or five years his first term, and we expect them you know, to start a church, win souls. You know, he goes in, he's a youth leader, he's a Sunday school director, he takes up the offering, he cleans the building, he preaches, he leads the singing, he plays the guitar, he dismisses people, gathers up the visitor cards, and says goodbye. He basically is, you know what it's like. You work hard to get visitors in, and then they come into your first services, and you've invited them to church or to Bible studies, and, you know, they look around like, this is weird. Where's everyone else? Ah, oh, we don't have everyone else. It's just me and you, bub, friend. You can't understand my Spanish, and I can't understand you, but anyways... We're going to build a mega church right here, you and me. <laughs> you know, then you're supposed to be able to come back in four years and put something up on the screen. Revival takes over Patuque Hidalgo. You better have people trained. You better have a national ready to take over that work. You better have a building pot. Folks, I've been there. I've done it. We have buildings. Oh, by the way, when you build a building on the foreign field, you're the general contractor. And the project manager, you say, what do you know about building? Well, now I know a whole lot because we built from the ground up. We built an auditorium for 400 people. Brother Mark's been there. Those beams that we put in, those cross beams, eight cross beams in a balcony, eight two-ton beams. And we bought them. They say, preacher, what do you know about beams? Absolutely nothing. I've been in the call and talked to people. We welded in the supports. And we came and we sanded them and we painted them and we cut them and we placed them. Those are the realities of the mission field. Oh, preachers come and they look at the work and they like the auditorium. They love the design. And they say, oh, preacher. And then they go visit this church and they visit over here and they preach in this church. They say, oh, glory to God, this is fantastic. But what they don't know are the nights that you cried and the services when you didn't have anyone and the days you thought this is never going to get off the ground. Uh, and that's when you're thankful you have someone praying for you specifically... Now, go with me to Ephesians. How do I pray? How do I pray for missions, missionaries? Paul, the missionary, tells us how. How many of you would like to know? And you said, preacher, if you told me how, I would be more specific in my prayers. Ephesians chapter 3. Look what Paul says about prayer. Verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees, this is the posture of prayer, unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now look at the five things that he prays for these people. Number one, 
My prayer is that you would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Did you know this, what your missionaries need? is they go and they face these struggles, not just on deputation, but with a culture and with a language and with planning a church and discipling new converts and building a ministry. More than anything, they need to be strengthened with might by God's Spirit in the inner man. You know what, missionaries, you couldn't pray a more important prayer than this one right here because as Americans, we've been taught externalism. We're focused on the exterior and not the interior. You know, I believe that we'd have more young people called to the field if we'd begin to pray this, if mothers and fathers, instead of praying, oh God, help my child to be smart and to pass their tests and help them as they go to college and I want them to be able to make some money and help them to find the right mate. What if you started praying, oh God, help my son to be strengthened with might by your spirit in the inner man? You know, we've done our independent Baptist churches We've taught character and produced character like it was the most important thing on the planet. Now, I'm not telling you to throw character out the window because it is important, but how, how about if we slid it down a notch because our emphasis is character and beauty and talent and achievement and somewhere way down below that is spirituality. What if we did what we're supposed to do and take spirituality and the inner man and put it up as the number one priority because we're producing a generation of talented and high-character young people with no walk with God. Amen. And we wonder why they go to the world. No one's surrendering to the mission field. No one wants to be a pastor, an assistant. What if we made our prayer? God, now this prayer works for anyone. What about it would help missions across the board if you prayed this for your pastor and you prayed this for your leaders and you prayed this for your mate, and you prayed this for your children, and you prayed this for yourself. And you went one missionary at a time. Those of you that grabbed missionary list, and it has ten missionaries on it. What if you prayed individually for each member of their family? God, would you help Brother James Hoffmeister be strengthened with might by your spirit in the inner man today? Would you help Beverly Hoffmeister, little Alec, Hoffmeister to be strengthened. He's a teenager. He's dealing with the Trinidadian society and the temptations of life and the problems of youth. Would you help little Alex be strengthened with your might by your spirit, inner man? God, would you help Christ to dwell in their hearts by faith? This isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about Christ dwelling comfortably. Did you know we've been staying in a hotel for the past few days? And I appreciate, preacher, the, the beautiful hotel in the suite. Thank you so much for doing that. That was extremely kind. But I don't feel as comfortable in that hotel as I do in my house. I, in my house, I have things exactly the way I want them. And that's the way Christ should dwell in our hearts. He should be able to move things around and position things and put things exactly the way He wants them. What if you prayed that about and for yourself and for these mission? Oh, God... Help Christ to dwell comfortably in their hearts. Number three, that they be rooted and grounded in love. How in the world are our missionaries going to make it in a foreign field if they're not rooted and grounded in love? You know why so many missionaries have come home? They went over there and realized they didn't love those people. They didn't love that culture. What if we pray to old God, feel Brother Hernandez, and help him to be rooted and grounded in love? 
You know what? There's going to be days when Brother Peters hates the Spaniards. You know, you ought to be praying, oh God, help them. But there will be days, Miss Peters is a lovely lady that loves God and loves this book and loves the ministry, but there will be days when she hates the Spaniards. You pray, oh God, help her to be rooted and grounded in love. Help them to be able to comprehend the love of Christ. Because here's what happens when you go into a foreign field. You feel isolated. And when we went, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Skype. We didn't have all these ways of communication and emails. But now that's changed. But that doesn't change the fact that when you go, you feel lonely. And you start to feel like no one even cares. What if you prayed, oh God, help them to understand the breadth, length, depth, and height of your love. Oh God, verse 19, help them to know the love of Christ because that's the only thing that's going to keep them on the field when things are going bad. An accusation is made. A member turns. Some of you just invested eight years of your life into a leader, betrays you, and takes people with him. Folks, I'm not making stories up. I'm telling you about the reality of the mission field tonight and how we as a church can hold up our missionaries through prayer. Look what he says, the last thing he says, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What if we were praying for our missionaries? How do I pray for our missionaries? What if you just prayed this prayer? Oh, God, help our men. And you insert the name. In the blank. Help Brother Hernandez to be filled with the fullness of God today. I guarantee they'd be thankful. I guarantee if we prayed this for our children, more than would surrender the ministry. I guarantee you Brother Laster would hug your neck and be eternally grateful if you'd pray this prayer right here for him every day. God, would you help him to be filled with the fullness of God today? No matter what he deals with. Now let me ask you this, we're done. When those disciples got together, and they let Saul down that wall in that basket, and they saved his life, did, do you think they knew uh, what they had in the basket? Did they have any idea? This is the same man that would write 13 books of the Bible. Do you think that they knew this is the man that would start the church at Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth and so many other places. Do you think that they knew this is the man that would train Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and Segundus and Aristarchus and be an assistant to Barnabas and really train Silas? Do you think they had a clue? Not a clue. Do you think churches knew when Brother Rick Martin went out what that man was going to accomplish and what God was going to use him to do. They looked at that humble jokester and said, I wonder what we're doing investing in this man. And now they know. Probably the greatest used man of God of this generation because someone was willing to put him in the basket. God took me out of the basket. God took me off the field. But I'll tell you what, I'm helping as many people in that basket as possible and I want to hold that rope. And I understand the forgotten rope in 2013 is the rope of prayer.